You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to podcast episode number 35. This is for Monday the 31st of October 2016. My guest this week is thriller writer Rachel Amflert. Rachel is the best-selling author of the Dan Taylor thriller series, as well as a number of standalone crime thrillers. Originally from the UK and currently based in Brisbane, Australia, her novels appeal to a worldwide audience and have been compared to Robert Ludlam, Lee Child and Michael Crichton. With plot lines ripped straight out of the news, the international settings and colourful characters bring the world of modern espionage to life, exploring complex technology while providing an adrenaline fueled reading experience. Rachel is releasing the first book in her new K Hunter series on December the 6th. When we spoke, I began by asking her what it is that draws her to action-packed thrillers. That's an easy question. It's what, it's what I love reading. <laughs> and it's what I've loved reading since I was a kid. Right now, I'm reading, uh, I've just finished reading Fool Me Once by Harlan Coben. Um, I'm churning my way through Lee Russell's books. I'm really enjoying those. I've most recently as well on the Kindle, just finished reading Follow You Home by Mark Edwards. Really enjoyed that. Backtracking to how I got into reading those sorts of books and the thrillers in particular, um, I think like a lot of mystery and crime authors, I started off with Enid Blyton. And uh, by the time I was in my teens, my granddad was handing me his uh, Jack Higgins and Alistair MacLean books to read and Dick Francis. And I progressed from those to reading authors such as Michael Connolly, Lee Child, uh, Dick Francis if I haven't already mentioned him, and, you know, basically work my way down the crime and thriller shelf in the local bookshop. I want to apologise if this goes into gender stereotypes, but this this is not a gender stereotype kind of writing, is it? I mean, you know, you're writing, when I look at your books, I'm seeing very much Lee Child, uh, Mark Dawson, you know, very much uh, man genre. Yeah, I I know, and if I'd known that, I probably wouldn't have started writing that. It's been blooming hard to get into it as a female author um, in hindsight. And there's been a couple of times before I overhauled everything at the beginning of 2015, when, thing, when I was really, really struggling to get a toehold into the um, genre, there were a few moments where I did kick myself for not writing under a pseudonym, I'll be honest. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Would you would you consider then, or maybe you're too far in terms of your progression now? Would you consider um, recovering the books with a male name? It's a terrible thing. You even have to think about that, isn't it? No, it's not. I think, it's, and it's a really interesting conversation to have because there's been a number of times where I've thought that myself. But I think certainly with the Dan Taylor series, my readers are comfortable with me writing those now. I think I've you know, I'm up in those subgenre charts with people like Mark Dawson, James P. Sumner, um, Russell Blake. So I feel like I've, I've kind of earned my, my way there. I've earned my position in those charts. Um, I deliver good action-packed, you know, fast-paced thrillers. Having said that, if I decided, I think, to write another thriller series in a similar vein, that would be tempting to put it under a pseudonym. And interestingly, on December the 6th, you're releasing the K Hunter novel, the first K Hunter novel, I think. Is that strategic then, writing a, a woman detective? Not really. It's a case of, it's a bit like the standalone thrillers. And people, people have asked me before, how do you know, you know, how do you decide whether a story is going to be under the Dan Taylor series or a standalone thriller or now a K Hunter thriller? And it's really... When I think of the ideas, I see them as if I'm remembering a scene from a film. It's the only way I can describe how these ideas pop into my head. And I know straight away whether Dan Taylor's in that scene or not, or is going to be in that story. And if he's not, then I've got a pretty good idea of which characters are. And when I started 
it was just before the fourth Dan Taylor book came out earlier this year, um, back in April. I was going through my notebook this morning, and I started sketching out an idea for a story, and straight away knew it wasn't going to be a Dan Taylor book. The way the story grew, the original idea I had is actually going to be the third or fourth book now in this new K Hunter series because it just grew out of that and so did the character and so it it all sort of comes pre-packaged I think I'm, I'm quite lucky in that in that respect let's wind back to the beginning of our conversation when you were telling me what inspired you to write thrillers when did you actually start to write have you always been a writer or did you start as a reader first definitely started as a reader I think everybody does um I wrote like a to, you know, stories and stuff when I was at school, but then I stopped. Um, I played lead guitar in bands in my early 20s, and the writing just went out the window. And it wasn't until we'd emigrated over to Australia from the UK in 2005, and obviously all the, all the work and everything that goes into settling into a new country and, and starting a new business. In about 2009... I started itching to want to do something creative again, and I signed up to do a six-week creative writing course with our local writing centre online. And off the back of that, I had some short stories published, and I won some competitions. And towards the end of 2009, I started getting an idea going around in my head, and it just wouldn't leave me alone. And I knew right then it wasn't going to be a short story. It was going to be much bigger. And that ended up being White Gold, the first one in the Dan Taylor series. I signed up to do a year of the novel writing course, they called it, with Queensland Writers' Centre here. And again, that was online. But it was weekly coaching. You had an assignment every week, and your, your novel gradually grew over time. And so between January and August 2010, I wrote the 80,000 words that became White Gold. You know, most people start small, don't they? Uh, yeah. And you dive, you dive straight in there. It seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Was it a difficult process? No, I loved it. I still do. Um, I, I definitely wrote that one for me. It was a case of, can I do it? I want to do it. And then I was learning, because I was, I think that's because I was learning at the same time. And I love learning. I'm like a sponge. Um, I think it's because I had that support behind me and that encouragement that I didn't give up. And I, I've got a feeling out of the people that signed up for that particular course that year, I think there were only three of us that actually got to the end of it at the end of the year. Um, and two of us are self-published. Um, when, when I finished that, I did actually pitch it. I picked out about four to six agents out of the writer's yearbook. Uh, that were based in the UK and I did pitch to them and I, I got really favorable responses from them and a couple of publishers here in Australia but no one was really looking for that sort of story at the time so it's it sort of got put put away for a few months and forgotten about. When did you come round to self-publishing then when when did you think right this is what I'm doing this is the course I'm taking? It was a chance email with a mystery writer over here called Vicky Tiley, who had been doing really well with her self-publishing. And I was, I'd been hearing more and more about it, and people that had read the rough manuscript of White Gold were, had enjoyed it and said, well, you know, you're going to write another one. And I knew that if I pursued the traditional publishing path, that could take me several years. And I I just wasn't prepared to wait. It's me being my typical impatient self. And so I made more inquiries and I found out about um, Amazon KDP and things like that and slapped it onto uh, an ebook. Um, I think it's about June, June 2011. I published it as an ebook and I did nothing with it. I had no idea whatsoever. I didn't do any marketing. I think I, I put it, I didn't even have a Facebook page at that time or a Twitter account or anything like that. And I, I think I just emailed a few friends and went, well, I've published this book. It's on there. Help yourself. Um, and then reviews started going on there. People started stumbling on it by accident and saying, you know, well, when's the next one in the series? And it was a case of, oh, okay, let's do another one. And started writing Under Fire, the second in the series. 
and, and that was hard. It, it was it was like a difficult second album that one. It's um, <laughs> having to having to repeat. I think it's because I didn't have that parachute of a of a support network as I did with the writing course of the first one, and so it took me. I, I stuck I stuck to it though, and you know, eighteen months later, I published Under Fire. And again, knew absolutely nothing about marketing or... I think I had a Twitter account by then. I can't remember if I had the Facebook page. <laughs> so did you conceive Dan Taylor as a series? Was White Gold written in your head no. as a standalone? No, absolutely not. Um, I got asked this question at Crimefest earlier this year, and it kind of threw me because with better planning, I probably should have thought of it as a series, but it was just a story, and I needed the character. And because people like that character, characters so much I wrote another book with the same character and suddenly it's morphed into a series so um, it's completely by accident and what challenges has that given you because you you have to always have backstory and be mindful of backstory and sometimes I guess you could almost paint yourself in into a corner by what you defined for that character in the first book yeah I, I think I'm really lucky in that I took a break from the Dan Taylor series after Under Fire came out and I brought out three standalone thrillers in quick succession. When it was time to come back to the Dan Taylor series, because it just felt right to, to, you know, I had another story in my head, and I thought, yeah, I want those characters back. And it's about time, you know, I sort of dusted him off and brought him out from the, uh, from the drawer again. And I'd done a couple of screenwriting courses in the interim. And the one thing you do with a screenwriting course, especially if you're writing a TV series, and the, the TV series we were studying was Breaking Bad, and you write a story Bible. So basically, I had a notebook that I went through, White Gold and Under Fire, and I picked out, you know, I had a page for each of my characters. I had a page for each location, their characteristics, their habits, and things like that. And that notebook, that story Bible for the Dan Taylor series, grows with each book. So I don't have to go back and think, oh, what year did he leave the army? Or when did he do this? Or when did that happen? I can just look it up in this story Bible and I keep going. And what about your locations? Location is very important to your books. I mean, your covers, uh, for instance, create a real sense of environment and location. I'm looking at one of your shorts here, Look Closer, which is, that's Big Ben, isn't it, on there? That's a UK yep. environment. Yep. It's... Um... It's often dictated by the story. With the Dan Taylor ones, the stories are often are kicked off by something I see in the news. Um, for example, Three Lives Down, there are a couple of things about, you know, there's been a, a lot of arguments over here in Australia about the whole fracking uh, um, business with um, gas, coal gas. And with Behind the Wire, I stumbled across a story about what was going on in Western Sahara uh, with the government of Morocco encroaching on on uh, mineral deposits there. And so it's often a news story that dictates where the story is going to be located. It's not a case of having an idea for a story and going, okay, which exotic location can I plonk this one into? It, it's it, Again, it comes prepackaged, as it were. And then with your shorts, um, what was the writing process like with the shorts, the standalones, compared to writing in the series is it very different writing culture for you no it's not it's, it's quite similar these days and i've got it down to a, it's it's turning into a finely tuned machine it's a case of i'll spend a couple of weeks plotting it out i'll have those few sketch out scenes going around in my head and i'll, I'll make a note of those as long as i've got again going back to the screenwriting process rather than having a three-act structure of beginning middle and end i split that middle section down into three so i've got five equal parts and i just make sure that i've got a beat or a lift at the end of each of those parts that keeps pushing the story forward um i don't think it matters whether it's one of my series books or whether it's one of my standalones they are all fast paced because of that i just keep making sure that it doesn't have to be a plot twist per se. Um, it can be, you know, one of the characters can see something or overhears something, but it keeps pushing the story forward. And it's the same process for the standalones, that once I've got those five acts in my head with those beats set in, more or less set in stone, 
um, then I'll start flushing. I'll start flushing those out and and filling them out and and getting maybe about. I use I use Scrivener and I love the cork board in there. So you can move around the index cards and and get your scenes in order and fill it out. And I'll probably get about these days. It's probably about fifty percent plotted out. But then that gives me wiggle room that if one of the characters, as the characters develop during the story, as long as I hit those beats and and the twist is where it should be and the ending is what it should be, it gives me that freedom to grow within the story. Yeah, this is something I've I've become obsessed with because I keep hearing about, you know, plotters and pantsers and I feel I ought to be mm. a plotter. But I get bored if there's no discovery in the yeah. story, if there's no excitement. I find that it just doesn't, I don't get excited by it. And often as a writer maybe you with series i bet this really applies to you that often you see things as you're going along you think oh yeah i hadn't seen that pattern yeah. before that opportunity yeah. yeah and it's definitely with this new k hunter series that first idea that i had back in april and how it became what is going to be book three or four in the series is because yes i've got a plot for each of the books but with this series i know that there is i've gone into this so much more with open eyes having written what I've written in the past and seen how the Dan Taylor series has progressed and grown I'm going into this K this K Hunter series where there is no there is an an underlying character arc there that is going to get chipped away at during the series and it could be book four before the before you find out how that's going to um all turn out for her but I know what it is I've you know I've written the first book I'm currently plotting out using that method I'm plotting out the second one at the moment with a view to start writing that in a couple of weeks and I'm so much more organized with this new series than I was when I started the Dan Taylor ones but I don't think I would have been this organized if I hadn't gone through that learning curve with Dan Taylor and the other thing, of course, is when you started Dan Taylor, you weren't conceiving it as a series, whereas with Kay Hunter, you, you know it's going to be a long-time burner. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you do learn as you go along. So what are, what are the biggest messages you've learned from writing Dan Taylor? So this is almost like a kind of series in a nutshell. <laughs> what have you taken from the Dan Taylor experience to put into the Kay Hunter experience? I think it's a case of viewing it with long was a longevity. I didn't expect that with the Dan Taylor series. I when when I brought out Three Lives Down at the end of November last year, that there'd been an eighteen month gap between books two and that third book in the series. So I really didn't even know if I had a readership left for that series. I'd left it so long. And so I rather I rather cheekily I left myself an out at the end of that book that um and I won't spoil it for anybody but if if that book hadn't been well received, it was okay. I, I sort of almost closed the series out. But luckily, by you know when it came out, it was it was just brilliant. I got so many good, so much good feedback from readers, and I had a lot of worried emails from readers going, "You're not finishing it there, are you?" And I was like, "Oh, okay." And so I brought the fourth one out in May. So you know, hurriedly on the heels of Three Lives Down, but. It was definitely, I think as well, the mistake I made with the Dan Taylor ones was having such a long gap between books, which is why going forward there will be a Dan Taylor book next year in between these K Hunter ones that I'm bringing out. With the K Hunter ones, if this new one is well received in December, which I think it's cost it will be, I know that I'd better have books two and three in the barrel ready to go pretty fast next year. And in the middle of that, I'd better have the fifth Dan Taylor one out because otherwise my Dan Taylor readers are probably going to lynch me. I'm, I'm interested. Something just occurred to me, and I'm not suggesting this is going to happen for one minute, but when you when you stick your neck out with something like Kay Hunter mm. um, with a series, and I, I mean, I'm thinking this in general terms, not specifically Kay Hunter, it's a bit of a punt on your part because if the if the character or, or the the series doesn't fly you've kind of made a, a a rope for your own neck haven't you with it so presumably yep. because you're so far down your writing career now you've got a lot of experience you know this is going to be a flyer um i wouldn't say i know it's going to be a flyer i'm really hoping it is um i haven't what i haven't done is left it on a cliffhanger i would never do that i think 
if I was going to leave a book on a cliffhanger, and for instance, there's, you know, there's another idea that I've got on the back burner at the moment, and that is definitely a trilogy. There is absolutely no way I would, I would publish book one in a trilogy without having them all ready to go. Because I just think that there are going to be some people that don't want that cliffhanger on the end. You might get, you know, you might get some blowback from that. Um, if it doesn't sell well, at least you can push out the other two really quickly, forget about it, and then just get on and write something else. Um, but yeah, it's it's a hard one. It's um, I do feel like I'm gambling a bit come December when. And the, this first Kate Hunter one comes out. I, I'm just hoping. I'm keeping. The, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. People enjoy it because I. I really enjoyed writing it, and I really do like the character. And you, you must get a sense for your audience because you're so far in now of what they want and what they expect from you. Yeah, and it's 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 really happened in the last year, and it's going to sound really weird, but some of that has come from doing things like the Facebook advertising because when. You do Facebook advertising, you obviously have to nut out your interests and your audience and stuff like that. And we all know about the, the Mark Dawson course, and I've, I've done that. And before the course, I was sort of flailing in the wind a bit trying to find my audience. Now when I target those interests, I know what those people are interested in reading in, and luckily it's the same sort of books I know. Um, and you kind of know as a reader what you want to expect from those stories as well. I've got so many things on my list here that I want to talk to you about. I barely know where to start. And, and um, so I'm, I'm making little notes as we're talking. I must talk to you about this. I must talk to you about that. I'm just, I just want to ask you something that I thought of about 10 minutes ago. I must ask you this one. Is, is that um, you are a UK or an, a UK expat based in Australia now, living in Australia. And yep. I, I noticed that um, you've listed on the Amazon Australia site, but you seem to do better in terms of your reviews and just total activity on the .com and the .uk Amazon sites. Yeah. Can you just talk me through that and what your experience of that is? Um, Australia is a bit quiet. Um, it's getting there. My biggest audience is the UK on Amazon. Um, my second biggest audience is Canada, and that's through Kobo and iTunes. Third biggest audience is North America, um, again through iTunes, and then Amazon.com. Um, I think in Australia as well, it's kind of weird because the Australian store has only been going for about three or four years now with Kindle, and a lot of Australians still have their old .com Kindle accounts. They won't switch them over because some of the 99 cent deals you get on .com, you don't get on .com.au, and Aussies are really clued up about that. So I don't get the sales that I would expect to see in Australia, but I think it's because a lot of those could be going to .com. Um, romance as a genre seems to do a lot better here in Australia. There's a huge audience for that in this country. Um, and, it's yeah, it's just the way it is. It's, you know, that's, that's why I, I spent the money to come over for Crime Fest in the UK this year it was it was great for networking it was great to just be around crime and full of readers and writers and just soak up the atmosphere and it's it's certainly something because that audience of mine is is big in the uk and i have a lot of contacts there it's it's probably going to be a case of me coming back to the uk once a year in future wow that's that's very interesting if that's the way it's working tell me about crime fest then were you were you were a speaker there were you I was invited to be on the Indie Alternative panel, along with wow. um, Martin Granger, David Penny, Rachel Abbott, and Zoe Sharp was our moderator. And we, we were invited to speak about our experiences as indies and, and to provide pe people in the audience with advice as to, you know, if you're considering this, you know, don't do what we did, <laughs> you know, do this instead, and hopefully provide people with some shortcuts. But it was, it was just really good. I got so you know got met some of my writing heroes as well and and met some lovely people and it was it was a really good experience. That's amazing. Does does it um, do anything to boost your profile? Do you when you appear at events like that? Do you see a lift in sales or is it very much a drip 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 approach with that? I can't say that it was really 
it wasn't really a sales impact. What has impact is the amount of contacts that I've got. And I feel that from doing that, I've got a lot more respect from my peers in the industry. I think people who now, you know, they can put a face to a name and they know how hard I work and where I want to go with it and how far I'm prepared to go with it. I mean, crams, if I can get on a... I just remember we walked into the bar on the Thursday night at Crime Fest in Bristol and it was about half past six and people were talking about how long it had taken them to get there and what the traffic was like and someone turned around to me and my other half and said, well, how long did it take you? And I said, well, right at the moment, 32 hours. We haven't stopped since we left Australia and everyone just shut up. And went, okay, you win. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, though, what, what I, I mean, I've been following you online for some time now. You're on Twitter, on Facebook, mm-hmm. and um, you are what I call, you know, in the, in the sort of authorpreneur industry, you're a worker in that, you know, I'm constantly aware of you just working. You've got books on the go. You're marketing hard. I'm seeing you, you know, pinning tweets, uh, creating new graphics all the time. I'm aware of you working. And how important is that to your success? Really important. Really, really important. Uh, we've had a public holiday here today. I was in the office and- at 8 a.m. It's now 7.30 p.m. Um, so it'll be a 12-hour day today, and that's quite a short one. Weekends, my other half doesn't see me. It's, um, <laughs> and it, it's, I know that I have to work this hard to – I want to be successful. I, I want to do this full-time. I'm, you know, I'm hungry for it. It's, that's why I study the market. That's why I put all the hours in, and, and I do all the hard work. And it's, opportunities are starting to come my way. I think it's because people can see that I take this seriously, so they're they're taking me seriously, and that's really nice. We mentioned a little while ago, you said that um, Apple is actually, um, in some cases, it provides some of your larger audiences, so you've gone wide with your books, and I also noticed that you're one of the few people like me who've got a Google Play account as well. Yeah. How's that working for you? It's not. Nobody's <laughs> <laughs> neither. <mine isn't> <laughs> it's. I'm hoping it will one day. Um, I'm doing it because I want the visibility. If if someone stumbles across me on Google Play, at least I'm there. I I tend to. I did try KDP Select crumbs. That's about three years ago now. I think it was when Under Fire came out. So it might be four years ago. I'm losing track. But it it just didn't work for me. It just tanked. Um, it, it just didn't work at all. So I, I waited my three months in perjury. And uh, as soon as I could, I, I bought everything out and, and slapped it back onto Kobo. And I only recently went direct to iTunes about a year ago. But they've, they've been brilliant. They've, I pitched to them. You can pitch to a, a merchandiser or to Apple's editorial team for iBooks. And if they like what they See, they will get behind you so that when you have a, a promotion on, you can flick them a link to it and they'll push it for you. And they've been an absolute joy to work with. They really have. It's been a slow burn. Kobo's the same. When I first put my books back onto Kobo Direct rather than through an aggregator at the beginning of last year, didn't really see much happening there until June last year. And then again, they, they introduced like this beta service this for promotions on their sites and I pitched to them for that and that's just gone great guns I mean August was phenomenal I had a 99 cent deal um, book bub on look closer two days before the book bub I emailed out to my mailing list so it was already on it already hit the best seller charts before the book bub promotion went out and it just kept going it was just incredible it was, it was one of my bonkers weeks i've ever seen for sales and kobo just went off the charts so you're listing directly then and you mentioned aggregators there which were you using smashwords or drafted digital beforehand i use i use them both i use both mm. smashwords and drafted digital and just mix and match where i want the books to be through them smashwords can still get you into people like i think it's baker and taylor and access access 360 for the libraries which is really good but i like using drafted digital Drafted Digital's got an advantage over Smashwords in that Smashwords only pays out your royalties quarterly. And you know what it's like when you're indie and you're putting all your money, all your royalties, when I do, all my royalties are 
like it goes back into the marketing. Draft to digital pays you monthly. So it's it's better for cash flow. But now you're putting the books into iBooks and Kobo. You're listing them directly. So you're going to yeah. Kobo.com. Yeah. And does that make a difference? Uh, it, you know, it, well, obviously it does because they help you. They help you more when you get traction. Yeah. 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 It's, That's the key difference. It was. And originally I did it because I wanted to cut out the middleman. I mean, the more royalties that are landing in my pocket means I've got more to spend on marketing and visibility. Um, it's... It's really hard when you start off with iBooks because it is a slow burn to get started and they are quite stringent. The, the, the levels, the minimum payout that they will make is actually quite high. Once you know, once you're established and you're hitting it every month, it's not such a, it's not such a huge problem. It's, they are, I, I just like having that control of being able to, to tweak the prices and everything. Draft for Digital, I think out of the two aggregators are probably more my favorite because they've got territorial pricing so you can actually change the pricing for different territories for example um for my sales in india i will only ever charge 65 rupees for one of my ebooks i don't care if it's on special or not but there's you've got to look at cost of living in those countries and how much people can afford to pay for a book and i'd rather give away my books at 65 rupees and price them at 400 and never see a sale. The other thing you get with Draft to Digital, of course, is their new books to read service, which gives you this universal link to make it easier for people to buy from you when you do go wide. Um, are you using that yet? Have you had any results from it? No, because I tend to use Booklinker for um, links like that. So, and then for, for example, my website is mostly affiliate links on there anyway. So I create those myself. Um, I'm being I do quite a lot of HTML coding behind the scenes on my website and things like that. I think the draft to digital service is good. It's a quick fix if you haven't got time. I think the fact that they're looking at things like that, that means they're listening to authors, which is really good. Yeah, they're very innovative. I think that's why they I are. like Draft Digital. Yeah. They're always pushing, pushing, aren't they? They're always pushing and moving and developing, which I like about businesses. Yes, well, so. I, and, and if you, I was on there... Um, I was messing about on their website today and I thought, well, I haven't had a look at just their, their normal platform. I always go into my dashboard and I don't really see what they're doing behind the scenes. But there's a list on there about six other ebook retailers that they're apparently in discussions with to try and get onto their sites, which I think is really, really good. It looks like they're always looking for new opportunities for their authors. You mentioned that you... Uh... You spend all your income at the moment, or much of it, on marketing. And uh, you also mentioned Mark Dawson's course, which I've just finished, and I've just started yep. um, you know, generating leads through Facebook myself with this. How are you getting on with it? What, what difference has it made for you? Visibility-wise, a lot of difference. Um, the, the course, I'm actually, I'm actually going to sit down and redo the course because I think, and I've heard people that have done this, because you can, I haven't looked at that course since, I think I did it in October or November last year. And I used it predominantly to grow my mailing list. That was my sole focus. And it worked. What didn't work for me was the sales adverts until recently. I, I, ran, a, I ran an advert over July and August this year for my Dan Taylor box set. And I made a profit on that. Not a big one, but, you know, it, it, covered, it, it covered the cost. And there's a little bit in my back pocket, which I was pleased with. It's definitely the mailing list that's made the difference. It's I, I followed all the Nick Stevenson stuff as well, so I knew I had my reader magnets and my book funnel and all the rest of it, and I had the the, Mailchimp, the Mailchimp platform all set up. I just wasn't getting people enough people to it through the back of the books, and using the Facebook advertising and the, you know the targeted interests has been great. It's really good. I've now got haven't got a massive list compared to some. I've probably a shade under three thousand people on my lists combined, but. It's like with that closer um, promo that I did in August at 99 cents. It's just sending out an email to people and going, hey, go grab this. It's 99 cents. Go for your life. Help yourself. And they made it a bestseller two days before any of the paid promotion stuff kicked in. It's, it's, that's, that's where it makes a difference. What, what kind of spend are you putting on that just out of interest? Because I, I, I have about, I think I'm running it at about a five or a day at the moment. Just to yep. sort of. That's all I was it. doing. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've just I've just killed my mailing list out of it at the moment because I'm gonna I'm gonna overhaul it all in the new in the new year, and I just feel that at the moment I've I've done enough this year. I want to put I want to put my my spending into something else towards the back end of this year with this new release coming out. But I think when I was I was spending five dollars a day, so that's what about two pounds fifty I think at the moment. Um, and I was pulling in maybe 21 new people a day on that. What you were saying about going back to the training, I've got to do the same thing because having run some now and set it up, I need to work out whether I'm paying too much Pauline and things like that. I've got to, you know, I've got to tw- find out how to tweak it now. Um, yeah. But so, yeah, seven days, um, over seven days, uh, 31 leads um, for 54 pence a lead. I don't know whether you know. I I don't know whether that's good, bad, or indifferent. To be honest with you. Yeah, and it's hard for me to do it from Australian dollars as well because I know where my comfort zone is for what I'm spending and who who I've got on my list. What I did find was it takes a while to nut out the interests right for your audience. Um, now, because I have a you know, you get a drop off rate as well when you send out a newsletter about something. You'll you'll get people dropping off as long as they don't you know, report you for spam. Um, I've now probably got a 90% retention rate. And if I send out a newsletter, I probably get about a 60% click rate, which I'm happy with. That's, that's good. You know, it means, and what I'm really enjoying about it, it, about having a mailing list is the fact that when I send out a newsletter, like I did today with the cover reveal, for this this new k hunter one i've had so many emails from people and we just end up chatting about stuff that's got nothing to do with the books they're just like yeah well you know the sun's out here we've been doing this we're going to take the dog for a walk and and things like that and it's just it's just nice it's just really good yeah that's really good uh, interaction with your audience and by the way 60 percent open rates is amazing um i think i was reading an article the other day uh, click rates i beg your pardon a click rate is about average is three percent i think i was reading in an article uh, the other day um, which is which is very low in an internet marketing it's even lower so you know 60 percent was opens or clicks you said yeah that was clicks yeah that's phenomenal yeah. it's 60%. not it's not always that good but it's it's really nice when it does happen but i think it's that's what when i first started doing the, the facebook mailing list i had a lot of drop-offs and stuff like that i think it's because i went back and targeted those adverts better and better and better that i knew that the people that were signing up were going to stay there and that they were going to be engaged while they were on that list. Are you doing any other paid advertising other than um, Facebook? You mentioned BookBub, which is the holy grail for all of us. Anywhere else that you're finding that's bringing good results for you? Um, Bargain Books is good. I'm trying to think. I think they're owned by Written Word Media. I could be wrong. Um, But Bargain Books is a good one. And Ebook Soda. They're nice and cheap. Yeah, they're they're really good. Um, So if I, for example, if if I have a promo going, I've had a really good run with BookBub. I think it's simply because I've got so many books now that I can put out at a 99 cent or a free deal that I was scoring about one a month for about four months in a row. So what I was doing was setting up the deal, emailing my mailing list two days before the BookBub deal. Then the BookBub deal would kick in. And then the day after, I'd do either a bargain booksy or an ebook soda. And the day after that, you know, a bargain booksy or an ebook soda. And so over the four days of mailing list and then three paid promotions, I'd do quite well. Free booksy is the other one I've had a lot of success with. Yeah. Have you tried free booksy? Yeah, and, and bargain booksy is owned by the same people. And so, yeah, they're, and they're really good to deal with as well. Yeah, very professional. Uh, yes, and they give you dates and, and they stick to it. Yeah, they are very good, aren't they? And they yeah. usually follow up as well to say, do you want to have another go? <laughs> so, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, it's always good to get a reminder and go, oh, yeah, yeah, I do need to top up the coffers because I want to spend <laughs> some more money on Facebook advertising. <laughs> um, well, before we move on for advertising, just one of the things I found with Facebook ads is that when you're building a list from it um, rather than making sales, um, it does take some nerve to stick at it because because you're not necessarily making cash from those leads you're actually just building a mailing list i know mark says you know i'm i'm what i'm doing is i'm buying customers long-term customers mm. you know rather than short-term sales H- how are you with that because i you know I, it's taken some nerve from me spending all this money 
and and I, I'm always I'm doing what's called an upsell. So when they when they um, complete their lead, I upsell them to a box set and say it's you know it's cheaper right. even with a free book to buy a box set. So I'm using old internet marketing principles here. Yeah. And I am selling more box sets, but I'm not making the money back that I'm spending. That's and that's quite hard. Yeah, it's it's definitely helping you just doing mailing list ones like I was doing. And you're right, it it takes some nuts to hang in there. It's, I was really guilty um, when I started out of just like going, okay, it's not working out for three days, switch it off. I'm just panicking. <laughs> it's just like, and, but then I had like, I'd be running like five ad sets at five bucks each and going, no, no, I could just see I was just hemorrhaging money. Um, but then I realized when I went back to it again and got my targeting sorted and, and just really concentrated and thought, right, okay, I'm going to hang in there. I'm going to give it five days. I'm not going to chicken out. I'm just going to keep going and I'll keep it low at five bucks. And it does work. It, it does get there. It's, it, it's, you just got to, you don't overstretch yourself. You know, don't scare yourself. Don't spend silly money. Um, when I, the box set ad that I had running last month was doing really well. And that was bringing in a positive ROI. And I think I was up to, I was spending about $15 a day on one advert. And that's the highest that I'm comfortable spending. Um, yeah, I could have probably sold a few more and, you know, people will laugh listening to this that are like real whiz-bang at Facebook ads and get, oh, you should have stuck it up to $75 or something and made an absolute fortune. But I'm just not comfortable doing that. I get the principle of it, but, you know, I was billed was 200 quid the other day for whatever I'd been doing. And but I get the principle of it. Once you've got the ad that converts, it's just like a cash machine that you, you yeah. shovel five dollars in and you get 10 back. And then we just multiply it and you just get more cash back. But it, it really, I think, takes a lot of nerve to get to the point where you get the ad that's doing the work for you. Yeah. Yeah. And you can. It's interesting as well. Um I read on a forum about the fact that you could actually get better results with a boosted post, which is like breaking all the rules. So my box set ad, my actual advert was tailing off a little bit um, towards the back end of September. And I, I, I read about this boosted post thing. And I thought, oh, I'll give it a go. I'll, I'll run an advert with a, a slightly tweaked audience side by side with it. And the CPC on the boosted ad was something ridiculous, like 12 cents, whereas the one that was a paid advert, an actual Facebook advert, was something like, I think it was 54 cents. That's Australian cents, not American. So it's, it's an interesting experiment. That's amazing. I mean, I, I wouldn't use Boost Post for anything but you know, a local mean. event or something yeah, like it, that. It's, it's, amazing. Totally, it's totally breaking the rules. I don't think I'd do it long term, but it was just, you know, just as a... A little, and it did. You know, it sort of picked up the the sales for a little bit longer, and just gave the uh, the length of the campaign a little bit more longevity. But um, it might be something I try again. I don't know. Wow. Now, something I had on my notes because I'd spotted this on social media, and I think I mentioned to you on social media. I must tell, I must talk to you about this. Was um, the use of Dragon Dictate? I, I think you're using yeah. that now. Yeah, yeah, really enjoying it. Um, took a little while getting used to it, and I was really lazy, but it's worth persevering with. Uh, there's a few tricks with it. The first one is you have to train your dragon. Um, there are set pieces of text in there, and there's things like speeches by Mark Twain and stuff like that, and it's worthwhile spending time doing those, and don't just do them once and forget about it. Leave it a few days and do it again, because that helps it helps the software learn the nuances of your voice. Um, when I started out using it, I really, it's a, it's a different way of using your brain. I really didn't like breaking off mid-sentence and having to put in things and telling it to do things like open speech marks and close speech marks and put a comma there. So I would just dictate the words and then go back in on the, on the manuscript and add in all the speech marks and commas and things. And then about... I was, I was really pushing to hit my deadline to finish this, this draft of this last book. And I thought, oh, this is silly. I'm going to give this a go. And I sat down with the instruction screen of all the quotes and stuff and, and all the commands that you could use. And I made myself do it. And within the space of an hour, it, it just felt natural. It was really, really easy. So I think it's, it's one of those things that it, it does seem weird when you start and it can be incredibly frustrating but it's a case of 
make yourself do it um, because it's it's really useful because I I also write if I'm not sat in front of a computer but I have, have a notebook more often than not especially when I'm writing in gaps in a in a first draft I'll write longhand so it's really useful to have that drag and dictate software to be able to dictate what I've written by longhand rather than have to then type it all out again. I think it's definitely a that and Scrivener are probably the two tools that I that I now swear by. You've done very well not to say things like hello Paul, comma, open speech marks while you've yeah. been doing this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we had um if you I'm not gonna say it on this podcast, but if you if you look on my Facebook page or my Instagram um, updates. We have a, uh, a yearly celebration here. It's like a big arts festival and then at the end of September they close out the arts festival with a humongous fireworks display and the, uh, the military jets and the military helicopters and the, I happened to be dictating when the uh, two Black Hawk helicopters came swooping low over the house and I won't repeat on here what I said but there is a photograph <laughs> of what came out on the dictation on my Facebook page. You can take a look yeah. I'll put that on the notes for the page. I'll, I'll see. <laughs> That's great. But what? Um, that, I mean, it's very funny, isn't it? Because I, I've tried it in a small way with because you can do it straight into Google Drive uh, as well for free. And I had a, I had a little go at it to see how I got on with it. So I have had that, you know, open brackets, you know, open speech marks, comma, new paragraph experience. Um, and and I, I I can see that it would be good. What was your motivation to use it? Were you having limb discomfort or anything like that, or was it just a speed thing? It's really a speed thing for me, but I was reading articles by people like Joanna Penn that that did have that were starting to develop um, RSI and things like that. And I just thought, well, you know, I'm I'm six foot tall. I get back problems if I sit in the chair for too long anyway. And it was really a case of I don't want those. I don't want my writing to give me health problems because I'm enjoying it so much. It would be horrible if my writing brings on back or or wrist problems later on in life and I thought I don't want to get to that point and then have to do it because I don't have a choice um it was and yeah the speed thing as well if I can if I can churn out more words that's even better what version are you using because I know that you need to get the right version with dragon don't you yeah especially with a mac as well I'm running um I think it's five I think it's five point one I did have 5.1.5 or 5.0.5. Then I had to go back to Dragon because it kept crashing in Word on the Mac. And I think you go back to the 0.4 version and then it doesn't crash anymore. But it doesn't bother me too much because with Scrivener, there aren't any problems. And if I'm, if I'm dictating stuff into Scrivener that's just an odd scene here or there. I just create a file in Scrivener, you know, for odds and sods and, and throw it all in there and then copy and paste it where I want it. So hang on, you can use Dragon Dictate with Scrivener, can you? Yeah. Oh, God, that makes me yeah. more interested. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> that was the thing for me. When I found out I could do that, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm so there. Yeah, yeah, you may have just tipped me over, actually, with that. Because, <laughs> I, you know, I... <laughs> I've been skirting around Dragon Dictate for ages, thinking, you know, it's quite a lot of money. Am I going to do it really? That that you know, and that's why I played with the, the the Google Drive version. And 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 I and I can see, you know, I hear about people, you know, I tell people when I teach them new softwares this all the time. Once you've got over the hump, the learning hump, yeah, you'll be fine. You'll love it. And and I keep well, hearing this about Dragon Dictate. Yeah, it's with 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 Scrivener, it's an absolute machine. It really is. I mean, I want to write. Between now and the end of next year, I want to publish three books. And I, I really do believe that if I can perfect this Dragon Dictate stuff, I can probably punch out more than that. I've certainly got the ideas for it. It's, but the productivity that comes with it as a tool is just incredible. Right, I'm interested now. So that's good. I, I'm, I'm going to go for that. Um, I want to ask you uh, just a couple of quickfire ones now, if that's okay. Um, um, bad reviews. How do you deal with bad reviews? I spotted the most incredible and rubbish bad review on uh, White Gold, where somebody said, "Not read it yet, so do not know what it's like." <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that one's almost gone down in history. That one. I think I've got. I think I've got a picture of that somewhere. The the one that got me was on Under Fire, 
and it, this guy put it on his blog as well, and he said, oh, it's something like, oh, well, you know, I don't, this one was okay. I don't, I, I, I don't read thrillers by women, but yeah, this is okay. <laughs> it's just like, you numpty. But um, <laughs> if I, I sulk, if I, if I get a bad review, I, I, I sulk for a little while. I feel really down, and it does knock your confidence. I think if people realized how much they can knock an author's confidence with a review, they might, they might be. They might just not bother. Um, my, I've had an interesting experience recently because I put a free promo from Estate Creek, one of my standalone thrillers, out at the beginning of September. And yes, I'm a Brit. You know, I use English English, not American English. And I did okay on the reviews in the states. The the reviews have been amazing, but the number of emails I got from people that were really quite horrible in what they were saying because I didn't use American English for a story that was set in California it was quite incredible. It, I, it actually got to the point one morning where I, I nearly considered pulling the book. I've made a policy decision because I sell more in the States to go um, American English spelling now uh, with, you know, Zs and things like that. I just yeah, do that across the board now. Yeah. See, I, I didn't because my Dan Taylor series, that's a British hero, and, you know, Look Closer is obviously in England. And it was weird. I don't know if it's because I just did a, a free promo and it just opened it up to more criticism. I, I really don't know. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was an eye-opener. Um, I, I guess if I have the time, if I have the inclination, I could have an American version made of that, do a slightly different cover, new ISBN number, and just Americanize it that market but it's not so until i started getting all these really rude emails it's not something that had even crossed my mind that i would have to do i thought people would just enjoy it for the story it is amazing isn't it the sort of feedback you get i want to ask about your covers as well and um, i absolutely love 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 the artwork for this new k hunter series i think that yeah. is just so I, I immediately of, I, <laughs> I had um yeah, it's, I'm, I'm just very lucky with my cover design, and we just, we just click. Um, I'll have an idea in my head, and I'll send her a few, a few um, links to pictures that I quite like on things like Dreams Time and Big, Big Stock, and, and she'll come back and go, no, well, maybe, but I can't do that with this. How about this one? And between us, we managed to nut out the covers, and then I, I sit there and tweak it, and I did a lot of tweaking with this one, um, and I had a lot of author friends very kindly put up with late-night emails from me going, but what if I do this? Um, finally settled on it. I think it was about Friday that I settled on that one. It just, it just feels right to kick off a series, and I specifically wanted my name in lowercase. I wanted it to look so different from everything else I've ever done because it is a slightly different subgenre. I um, also noticed that in the Dan Taylors, um, you've gone for this um, this, this sort of uh, archetype of the, the silhouetted man, l either on a road or looking down a street or something like that. And Mark Dawson uses that a lot. And so does Lee Child. And actually a local author for us, Matt Hilton. I don't know whether you've ever read any of yeah, Matt's, but Matt's a, yep. oh, Matt's a local author. So uh, he lives in where I live in Cumbria, which is uh, you know, his okay. big sensation here. Yeah. Uh, because of his publishing deal that he got but um you've intentionally done that have you is that what sort of sells book in that books in that genre interesting story when i um when i first brought out white gold and i had it had my idea for cover which i thought was fabulous um and it wasn't and, and that's not the cover designer's fault that's all in the author's fault as was the rehash covers when under fire came out and i suddenly realized oh i've got a series here i best make both look the same and those covers weren't brilliant either and at the end of 2014, I'd had a really good run um, before Nightfall came out in June 2014 and was outselling White Golden and Under Fire by leaps and bounds with very little marketing. It was just the cover was just so much more evocative than the old covers that I had for White Golden Under Fire. And, and so I did a lot of navel gazing at the end of 2014, sat downstairs with all our books our Lee Child books and all our Vince Flynn books spread out on the floor and went, hmm, yeah, that's where I'm going wrong. So I, I spent money on getting the covers completely overhauled to reflect the genre that I write in. And I haven't looked back. I, I relaunched those 
at the beginning of 2015 and they've They've just, they just keep selling. They've just shifted so many copies. As soon as the new covers came out. And this takes me back to what I said to you earlier. You're a real worker at this. Um, because, uh, again, you know, I, I know because I'm doing this at the moment too. You know, spent 540 quid on an edit. It's going to cost mm. me three to 400 quid on a cover to get the best stuff done. You've got to yeah. be all in with this, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can't be half-hearted. And I think... That's something that it was a bit of a watershed moment at that end of 2014 because I'd been approached to um, to sell the Italian worldwide rights to White Gold um, completely out of the blue, and suddenly that, that that kind of made me sit up and take notice of of what I was doing and what I wasn't doing right, and so I started 2015 with a with a proper business and marketing plan of like right. This is what I want to achieve. If I can achieve this by accident, what can I do if I actually set out to make it work for me? And it's now got to a point where last year I had a, a business and marketing plan for the year that I reviewed every every month and updated. This year, think you know what it's like in this in in this industry. It changes so fast. So I've now got a business and marketing plan for every three months, and I, I and a production plan for the next eighteen. And I think it's, it just helps keep you focused. There's so much to do that, that you have to juggle that you've got to have a way of, you've got to have a way of keeping track what you want to do. And what I also started doing this year was having a little check sheet or a little list at the back of the marketing plan of stuff I've actually achieved. Because you, I think we're, we're all guilty of putting so much effort into getting there. We forget what we've done along the way. And you've got to give yourself a little bit of a pat on the back sometimes. You know, <laughs> I should really go and read that list when I get a one-star review. <laughs> it's, it's interesting you say that. I've just recorded a presentation for the Alliance of Independent Authors. And um, one of the big things I've said is that as well as um, time management and making sure you get it all in, you must stop regularly to go out for a meal, to do something special, to celebrate achievement as well. Because if you don't celebrate the journey, you know, really, it's just going to be work, work, work yeah, all the way, the I think. Yeah, yeah. What's the point? You've got to enjoy it. I mean, I've, I'm very much focused at the moment. I, I know that I want to be, I want to be doing this full time, and I, you know, I welcome the work that comes with it. Um, but it's, you're right. You've, a, you've got to look after your health, and and B, you've got to, you've got to celebrate. You feel to me, Rachel, like you're on the brink of going big that that's what it feels like to me and it feels like you're ready for it as well just it just feels like you're about to go and soar now do you do you feel that in your bones yet yeah i've actually got goosebumps you saying that it's um it feels like something's going to give either i'm going to keel over from exhaustion <laughs> or <laughs> or something's going to give and it's going to be i don't know if it's going to be big i feel like it's going to be another jump forward like beginning of last year, I overhauled my covers and everything. That was a huge jump forward. Beginning of this year, you know, being invited to be on that panel at Crimefest, that was a huge jump forward. And I just feel that I'm getting these jumps every six months. So whether it's a big one or just another one that keeps me going in the right direction, I'm not sure, but I want it. I really do. There's, there's so much yet I want to do with this. And so many, and so many stories I want to write. Well, you really deserve it. As I say, you know, when I when I talk to different authors, you are a real authorpreneur, uh, hard worker, and you really, you know, deserve it. So I, I do, you know, I hope you get it. And I got a podcast interview with you before you weren't available. Uh, which is <laughs> Thank <great>. you. <laughs> before you were too busy. <laughs> so I'm really pleased about that. So because you know, from from my point of view, I'm I'm trying to catch people who are slightly earlier than the, you know the Rachel Abbotts and the people that we hear on all the yeah. podcasts. Yeah. And what I what I hope is that I'm going to have the next generation of big authors. That's what I'm looking at the the people who I think will be next generation big authors. And uh, yeah, and I yeah. certainly put you in there. Thank you. That's that's very kind. I think as well with this. The this whole Indian self-publishing thing, it's just, it's such a good crowd of people. I think anyone doing this knows that it's not a competition. We're all in it together and there's no big secrets. And, you know, it's like the last couple of weeks, I've, I've been able to email people that I've met at Crimefest. I've, I've, I've emailed traditionally published authors as well. And everyone just wants to help each other. And I think it's, it's just brilliant being part of that community. 
I'm aware that we've well overrun our time, Rachel. I do thank you for, for giving me the time <laughs> for this. I, I, we must bring this to a conclusion now. But can you just tell uh, people listening to this where they can find out more about you? Because you're you're very good in your authorpreneur career. You, you're all over the place, which is great. Yeah, almost, I think you just summed it up. I'm just all over the place. Yeah, that's what it feels like most of the time. So people can find me at my website, which is www.rachelamphlet.com. And that's R-A-C-H-E-L-A-M. P-H-L-E-T-T. Um, I'm on Twitter at Rachel Amplett and I'm on Instagram at Rachel Amplett and Facebook is Rachel Amplett where you can see my dictation with Black Hawk helicopters going overhead. Thank you for listening to this week's self-publishing journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.